I'm so excited to welcome you to Season 3 of Career Resilience. My name is Jan Daniluk. I'm a Senior Human Resources Consultant at Ford Keys, a progressive accounting firm in London, Ontario, Canada. Each week, I get to talk with people about their career path and their career journey, and maybe we can all learn from each other how to be a little bit more resilient in the challenging world of work. Please check out my website, career-resilience.com, where you'll find Season 1 and Season 2, and now Season 3. Welcome. Love what you do and do what you love. The best career advice I've received is follow the fun. Those opportunities will just organically present themselves. You know, establish those connections and maintain those connections. Acceptance just means accepting what is. I don't think we should just put ourselves in a box. At the end of the day, it was always me that I said, I'm not doing good enough right now. I want it to always be, you know, movie night on Friday night. My guest today is Tim Burgess. Tim is a Brit. Uh, who has spent most of his career um, in and around the music industry. Um, he was part of a popular band called Tapau. Have I pronounced that right, Tim? That's that's correct, Jen, yes. Okay. Uh, along the way, uh, Tim was a volunteer magistrate. I wanted to get that in because that gives you gravitas. Um, and uh, Tim worked for Virgin Records, and um, he is now with Universal Music. So that is such a little nutshell for all we want to unpack, Tim. But welcome to Career Resilience. Thanks, Jan. It's an absolute pleasure to be here and talking to you. That's great. So I'd like to start with a fun fact about you, just so we can put you in a little bit of context other than those other things. So what is a fun fact that comes to mind about yourself? Good question. Uh, I think... One of the other things that I love, and I, I, for a brief time in my life, I was, I did this for, did something adjacent to this for a living. But one of the things I love is cars, and I love old cars in particular, and I love rallying, racing um, old cars. Um, so, amongst all the other crazy things I've done in my life, I've also been a, um, an amateur uh, rally driver and won four championships actually in uh, in Canada. I won the uh, the Ontario Championship twice, and I've won the BC Championship twice. So that's an unusual, unusual fact about me. That's, that's nothing a, to do with my job. That is a definite sideline. So, what kind of cars were you driving? Um, I I have my own um, 1961 Triumph TR4, so a little British sports car. Okay. Um, but uh, I, I rallied that in Ontario, and also took that from um, Seattle to Alaska um, on a competitive rally. Um, and out in BC, I've rallied, and again, up to Alaska as well, I've rallied with a, um, uh, an Audi Quattro, a 1982 Audi Quattro. So uh, are these all stick shift cars? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it must be stick shift. Yes, that just goes <laughs> with this thing. Okay. And um, where, which side were the steering wheels on? Actually, they're both left-hand drive. I bought them both. Uh, well, I, I bought the Triumph. The, the Audi doesn't belong to me. Um, but both of them are, are North American cars. Yeah. Okay. So you had to adapt. So not only did you have winning ways, you had to adapt to the opposite or what we call the right side of the car. Yes, that's right. I did. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's one of the, uh, I would say, minor challenges, but one of the challenges of, uh, you know, being an, an immigrant to Canada coming from the UK. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine driving in the UK. So kudos to you for being able to drive in Canada, although it's so much easier in Canada, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well the, well, the roads are generally bigger. That certainly helps. A well, that is a point. That is a point. So, uh, so you are from Britain. Can you give me a little bit of an idea of your background? Sure. I was I was born actually near Manchester, but only lived there for the first six months of my life. Now, obviously, I don't remember that. Um, but I was brought up just a little outside um, London, actually exactly halfway between London and Oxford. Um, my dad was a very, um, very good um, academically. He had a he got a first um, in his degree and a PhD, and then went on to a very successful career in um, healthcare um, business. Mm-hmm. Uh, ran the health department um, in the UK for a while for the government, and had various chairs and that sort of thing. And he's actually been knighted by the Queen. Um, so I come from sort of um, a dad who was very successful and very, um, 
very business oriented and very academic. My mum was also fairly academic. She, um, she studied maths and became a math teacher. And my sister, again, fairly academic, uh, two degrees in biology and botany, um, and she was a biology teacher. So they were all kind of high-flying, um, university, ed highly educated, very, uh, very good people like that. Um, I'm not quite the same. I, when I was at school, um, although my passion was music and I was, um, my, I guess my two passions were, were music and, and playing music particularly, um, and painting. Um, I was very good at maths and physics as well as oh, art. And so, and so, you know, at, at 18, with a, with a family background like mine, yes. um, going off to do something radical like go to art school or become a musician or something like that was, was not really on the cards. And so everybody said, oh, art, physics and maths, you should go and be an architect. So I thought, okay, okay I guess I should go be an architect. Um, went to university to study architecture and pretty quickly worked out that I didn't actually care very much about buildings or anything to do with architecture whatsoever. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, and so kind of dropped out at that point. So that's kind of my, my early background and how right. I ended up right. not really following a, a, you know, a standard course. Because you had this artist bent. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That, that you mm. so it's interesting, isn't it? The genes that came down to you sort of went over in that very interesting direction. Yes, and it, it is interesting because I'm not sure that I know where that side of me came from. Mm. Um, my my dad played piano when he was a kid, but only just like everybody else. Yeah, played yeah. Piano. You know, there wasn't, to my knowledge, there's not actually any any other sort of significant creative artistic. Mm -hmm. um, part of my family, you know, certainly two or three generations back. As far as I know, I, I, I've no idea where it came from, Jen. But you were a drummer. Is there yes. So, so, so perhaps not really a musician anyway, right? <laughs> uh, I was going to say about that, that of course it's a musician, but is there not some sort of mathematical feel about the logic of being uh, on the drums? Yes, there is. I, yeah. I, I actually, I, th I think that's very true. It's very mathematical being a drummer. Yeah. Very mathematical. Yeah. So you came together in this perfect package. Oh yes. Okay. I mean, you know, as I as I said, people thought that I should be an architect with that perfect package, but maybe being a drummer was was the same same blend, but just with a different outcome. Yeah. Were you at all ever considered a black sheep? Oh yes, I think so. Um, <laughs> okay. Not, not in a not in a sort of significant and or yeah. you know um, re rebellious way, yeah. but just in a, an unusual way. I mean, all, all the way through my career when I was when I was in in music as a as a musician, I think that my dad and I never really had a conversation about anything other than sport that made any sense to him. I think. <laughs> okay, all right. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to leap forward to your current career and tell me what you do for a living on a day-to-day -day basis now. Sure. I, I have a position at Universal Music, global position, where I'm, I'm head of, I'm vice president of process innovation. And what that really means is I run a team, a global team, some people based in London, some in uh, Los Angeles, New York, and, and so on, um, that is responsible for trying to work out when new ideas come into the company, when new opportunities in the industry um, arise, trying to work out how are we going to deal with that? How are we going to make this work from a from a day-to-day -day point of view? What are the processes we need? What are the people we need to be involved in this? What sort of technology do we need to support it? And try to build the capability within the company to go and, and make, make, um, take the opportunities of these new, uh, new uh, things coming into the industry. Um, and so that's really what we do. I, I mostly run a team, which I, I like. I don't, I don't do much of the actual work, you know, typical, typical manager, right? I don't actually do very much of the work myself. Um, I try to inspire and, and guide a team to do that kind of thing. But that's, it's, it's, all about, it's all about new and creative stuff coming into the industry. So can you give us an example of what would have been a new and creative thing that came into the industry that you were part of? Sure. Well, back in the early 2000s, um, I mean, I've been in this, this area for, for some time now. Um, 
really it was digital distribution, you know, with, with the whole um, internet um, revolution of the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, when this started to attack the, uh, yeah, I would say attack the music yes. industry because we didn't really know what we were doing and people were, were sharing our music uh, for free over the internet. Um, we as an industry, and certainly the company I was at at the time, EMI, um, we had to work out how on earth we were going to make money out of this and how we were going to take advantage of the opportunities to distribute our own music under our own control uh, digitally over the internet via, you know, iTunes and Apple and and what is now Spotify and those kinds of of things. Um, And so that was a huge challenge. We had no idea what we were doing um, and we just really headed into it thinking, okay, well, if if the end result is this, what do we need to be able to do that and and then kind of work work from where we are today? How do we build a bridge from today to where we need to be? What are those things we need to put in place? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was so uh, throwing a, a bomb into the, the business model. Were, were those scary times? I think for the industry, they were. Yes, for the industry, they were. And for the company that I was at, they were scary times. But... For me personally, it was a fantastic opportunity. It was a really, really interesting time. Mm. Um, I love to, I love to do new things. I love to try to understand how to do difficult things that you know are either inefficient or don't exist. Yes. Um, and so for me, I found it, I found it exhilarating, really, um, because I was, I was in a position where I got to make the change to make it work. So I was not in the I was kind of not on the scary side of it. I was on the trying to fix yes. the problem side of it, not, okay. not being, not really being um, subject to what the change. I was trying to, I was trying to adopt the change and, and embrace the change. Yes, there's something to be said for that, isn't there? For being immersed in what has to happen yeah. and maybe sort of getting rid of the noise on the other side and just focusing on on what needs to happen, and also because you're so interested in it. Yes. Yeah, I think that's I think, you know, in, in any in any uh, difficult situation or any crisis, I think being involved in it at the front, uh, you know, on the front lines yes. is always going to feel more positive than the people who are who are watching it have a detrimental effect to, to what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so is that the, the favorite aspect then of your job? You said leading the team, dealing with innovative uh, issues as they come up. Um, so tell me about what it's like for you and why you're so adapted to leading a team. That's, a, that's an interesting question. I don't really know what has made me good at this. Or I, I like to think I'm good at it. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm saying I'm good at it. You know, <laughs> the, the feedback I get seems to indicate that I'm, I'm not terrible at it. Um, but but I love to do it. I love to lead a team. I really do. Um, mm. I, I think, you know, even when I was a, a school kid, um, I loved to play team games. I loved to play mm-hmm. basketball and rugby. I played soccer when I was a bit younger. Um, and I loved to not only be in a team, I liked to be captain or vice captain of the team. I wanted to try to bring the best out of people, to try to encourage them and to try to mm-hmm. um, think about what, what our strategy should be to win this particular game. Yes. Um, those kinds of things. So I think right from an early, you know, when I was, when I was pre-teen for sure, um, I, I enjoyed that aspect of, of being part of a team. Mm-hmm. Um, I never really enjoyed individual sports. I never really enjoyed tennis and, and okay. athletics and that yes. sort of thing. Never, I didn't like being, it's just me against everybody else. I, you know, I mm-hmm. wanted to be part of a team. It's just, it felt, it felt more collegiate. It felt more comfortable for me. You know, it was it was a kind of, you know, family warm kind of thing. Yes. So leaping forward several uh, rather too many decades to, you know, where we are now, um, I still love to do that. I still love yeah. to, you know, but the, the thing that I I try to think about is, you know, if I if I have good people around me and I'm blessed with very good people around me, mm-hmm. um, I feel like my job is to provide them with an environment where they can go and do great things. Yes. That's actually, you know, that's my job as a manager is just to give them an environment where they can go and do their best stuff. Oh, those are so words to live by as a, as a team lead. Um, 
So where is your team located, though, Tim? <laughs> well, that's yeah, that's it's interesting, you know, because I love I love a team so much. I have three or four people in London. I have uh, four people in New York. I have one in Nashville, and I have four in Los Angeles, and I'm in Toronto. Um, so we are a very distributed team, um, you know, internationally and you know on different continents. Um, and we always have been like that. And, I, and from when I when I started uh, doing the um, the digital stuff at the early two thousands, I've always managed teams and been part of teams that are global, where people are all over the place. Um, and time zones are a challenge for that. But um, a, a, I would say when COVID came along and the in the whole um, we all had to work remotely, it was a no change at all for me because I had always spent quite a lot of my job over the past uh, 20 years working remotely with some key members of my team because we lived in different countries. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to fly a lot more back then than yeah. we did under COVID. I used to be in Los Angeles once a month and I used to be in London probably four times a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously the vast amount of, of interaction was was remote, you know, was was over Zoom, was over phone calls and that, and that kind of thing. Um, so... I guess I've, I guess I've found a way to to be able to connect with my team mm-hmm. remotely, even though I'm not, you know, that, that we're not together. Yes. And I think, um, I think that there is no question there are some things that are better done in person. Mm-hmm. But I do genuinely think that remote working that we've all had to do under COVID has some significant benefits. And yes. um, one of the major benefits to me is that all distances are now equal. Yes. So somebody in a country or another continent in a in a day-to-day meeting is no further away than somebody who's in the next building. Yes. Because this is our interaction. Yeah. And I think I think that's and that's really helped cement some of the way that our team works because it's it it's it's really broken down that continental divide or that big geographical divide mm-hmm. because we're all we're all interacting in this way. Before COVID, did you were you on screens like we're on right now? Um, or, no. Okay. So no, and that's that's quite. I mean, we would like any other company and any other team. We would have conference calls from time yes. to time. Yes. But on the basic day to day, you know, talking to my team, you know, four times a day or whatever. Um, it was all done by phone. Yes. Um, so while it was, it's an interesting question because while the the remote working and the remote um, connection with with um, my team members and other people that I work with um, was no change for me, I yes. was suddenly on screen all day every day, which I was not used to. I know. So I did have a little bit of the same kind of Zoom fatigue that everybody else did because even though remote working was very um, very, very uh, um, familiar to me. Yes, being on the screen all day mm-hmm. was not. So that's yeah. that was interesting. Was it easier to be on the phone all day or be on the screen all day? I think now I find it much easier to be on screen all day. Um, okay. Yeah, I I like I like the yeah. You know, I I like the being able to see each other. It's not as good as yeah. being in person. But it is better than being just on the phone. You know, okay. that you do get the facial expressions, you do get a certain amount of body language. Yes, um, and it and it breaks down the 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 distance and the separation yeah. by having yeah. by having yeah. this. I mean, thank God we have this technology when when we needed it. Really, so you know, true. If it happened, if it happened yeah. 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, God only knows how companies would have survived. I don't know what would have happened. Mm-hmm. And we get to see such interesting backgrounds. Yes, that's right. Yes. <laughs> oh, so, I'm looking at your background right now. And what is behind you on the wall there that looks like a record? <clears throat> well, it is. It is. It's um it's from it's from my you know my previous uh, existence as a drummer. It's um it's a, a, a four-time platinum um album award for um our first album that uh, sold I think 1.2 million copies in the UK, which you know is, was a lot in the UK. Um, and, uh, it's, it's a little bit of, it's a little bit of, um, a sort of nod to, to that part of me and that, that past. Yeah. 
So let's talk about that part of you, because that's quite fascinating to all of us, because we're all uh, knowledgeable from our own angles about the, the, the business that you were in. So is it safe to say that you were a drummer in a rock and roll band? Yes, that's pretty much exactly what I was, yes. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. To be honest, Tim, I've just always wanted to say that sentence. <laughs> okay. It's, it's not quite as exciting as everybody thinks it is, but you know what? It's pretty darn good, actually. It's a pretty yeah. darn good way to earn a living, I will tell you. Yeah. So let me ask you some questions about that. So first of all, I want, which is sort of an odd question, but are you an intense person or are you an easygoing person? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think I'm a little of both, actually. I think I am more easygoing now than I used to be, <laughs> partly because I'm a lot older and I realize that you can't necessarily change the world quite as much as you might like to. Um, so you have to be a little bit more comfortable with things not being how you would wish them to be. Mm. Um I mean, thank God some people are not like that. Some people are, you know, are, are warriors for, for the right thing their entire life. And I, and I applaud them for that. Um, we're not all built that way. Um, so I think I was pretty intense as a, as a young person. And I, I think, I think particularly I, and I would say this about anybody who's ser seriously looking at a career in the arts, you know, they say, if you can do something else, you should do something else. And while I don't fully subscribe to that, because I certainly could have done other things, um, I think you have to have such a passion for it because it's so hard. Yes. It's so hard to be successful. You've got to, you've got to be absolutely passionate. So in, ten, in, in terms of your question, at how intense, you know, am, am I an intense person? About my passions, I really am. Yes. And when I, you know, about drumming, I was absolutely obsessive about it. Okay. So when you started to get into this thought process, you said something along the lines of, I'm going to dedicate a period of time to this. How helpful was thinking of it that way? I wouldn't have done it if I hadn't thought of it that way. Okay. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you how I, how I got into it. And really it was, it was the influence of somebody else. Um, I was, I'd, I'd been to the university as we talked about and, um, and I'd done a few other relatively uninteresting jobs. I mean, they, they were interesting bits in them, but they weren't going anywhere in particular. And I'd stopped doing one of those and, and was kind of thinking, what, where am I going? What am I going to do? Yes. Um, and, and a friend of mine said to me, what do you really want to do? And I said, I want to be a drummer. You know, and I, almost dismissively, I said, I want to be a drummer because I thought, well, like, that's a ridiculous notion. You know, I've got to go get a job. I've got to think about building a career. I've got to do all those things. Um, and this friend of mine said to me, well, then why don't you try that? He said, if you, you know, if you're, if you imagine yourself at 60, and I'm now 61, if you imagine yourself at 60, looking back on your life, what do you want to do? Do you want to say, I gave it a shot and failed or succeeded, or I never gave it a shot? And I thought, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. I don't want to, you know, I'd, I'd rather fail and say I tried than regretting having not given it a shot. You know, and, and I think trying to be a professional musician is a ridiculous idea. It's, you know, it's, there's so much competition. It, there's so much, it's 90% it's luck. Um, but it was the right thing for me to do and to say, I will give my, I actually said, I said, I'll give myself two years and it actually took three years. Um, but I, after two years, I thought, well, I'm not quitting now because I'm getting closer. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. But, but it was it was very important to me to dedicate a to kind of give myself a specific goal. I'm going to go give it a shot. I'm going to do absolutely everything I can possibly do to make this work. And if it doesn't work, okay, okay, I'll move on. Were Were there a series of rejections in there as you went along that first year and so on? And how? If so, how heartrending are those? There's almost nothing but rejection um, from, from trying to be successful because there are so there are so many bands and so many musicians um, all trying to get into this tiny little slot of success that yes. um, it's almost all rejection. Now, when I say that, 
I wasn't rejected as a player very often. There were many, you know, I went to many auditions and played in lots of bands. And most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, people said, yes, we'd like you to come and join or come and play on this. Um, so from a personal, tiny little goal perspective, there was very little rejection, actually. But the big rejections, there's lots of those and they're much bigger. Um, but I think that I was either ridiculously naive or stupid or very resilient in the sense that I thought, okay, we've been rejected. I don't care. No, there'll be another opportunity. Keep going. There'll be another opportunity. Yes. Don't quit now. Keep going. You've set yourself this target. You've given yourself yeah. this parameter of working. So if you get knocked back, keep going because you're, this, is your, this is your target, not this bit. Right. If I get if I get rejected in the first six months, okay, I said two years. Let's keep going. Yes, I wonder how much the two year parameter were um, comforting to you. I think so because I think that's a good question. I you know, and I I haven't really thought about it that way, but I but I do think that I do think it 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 allows you to allowed me. Um, I, don't, I can't speak for others, but it, it allowed me to say I'm not done yet. Just because, just because I haven't been successful. Yes. Um, I'm not done yet. Yeah. Because I, I had my own, my own end point, which mm -hmm. was not dictated by other people saying no. This you're not good enough. Go away. Mm -hmm. Now this is a question. How important is it in what you were striving to do, and even when you became part of Tipao, which we'll get into a little bit, how important was it for you to be the full package of not only a, a drummer, but a good looking guy? Um, I don't know. <laughs> that's, a, that's interesting. Um, I don't know, really. I mean, all I, all I wanted to be, all I wanted to be was, was a drummer. Um, I didn't want to be a pop star. Um, I didn't want to be famous. Um, I didn't. I didn't care about any of those things. I just wanted to be a drummer. I okay. wanted to earn a living being a drummer. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I. I don't think any of those things mattered to me because okay. the only thing that mattered to me was being a drummer. So and it's easy to say, right? You know, I, I'm I'm a fortunate person, right? I'm a middle class white guy, right? So I I tick all the all the um, opportunity boxes, right? You know, I don't come from a difficult background. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't come from a, an ethnic minority. You know, I'm not female. I'm not gay. I'm, I don't have any of the things that certainly back then may have been difficult to get, you know, would have been potential things to make it harder. Um, so. Yeah. And somewhere along that path, you were also able to eat. You, you were able to put food on the table while you were uh, looking to achieve this path. Yeah, that's right. I mean, what what I did was, um, I, you know, I was a I was trying to be a full time musician. But if you're a full time musician, it basically means you're out of work and you're not earning any money at all. Most of the time, that's true for most people. Most actors, you know, every, everyone yeah. says this. So, yeah. so you always you go off and do something else. Mm -hmm. And what I would do was, when I really ran out of money, I would go to an agency, um, you know, near me and say, "What temporary work have you got?" Um, and I did a variety of things. I drove a truck. I was a. I picked up garbage. Um, I painted warehouses. You know, I did all sorts of things like that because I knew that if I did that for three or four weeks, I could top up my bank account, and then I could do nothing all day but play drums for another, you know, maybe two three months. If I was frugal, I could work for a little bit, then I could play music for a long time, then I could work for a little bit and play music for a long time. Yeah. So I was quite happy doing. Any job that that would you know pay uh, pay the bills, and I would find something that was use, you know interesting about the job. Okay. Although picking up garbage wasn't the wasn't the one I would go back to. I will tell you that. Yeah, we we have to honor those people. That is for sure. That is a tough yeah. job. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. So tell me about the uh, Tipao uh, coming together and going up in the world. Yeah. Well, we we. Came together, I guess, from a, a you know a, a, a lot of people we knew. Really, I, I joined I joined the band early on. The, the, the band was really a, a, a duo, a songwriting duo, um, and I joined them uh, very early on. 
because we we shared a manager. I was in another band that had the same manager that they did. Okay. Um, my band was, uh, you know, another one that I'd been in that I thought we were very good, but we're not quite there. Um, we're not quite going to make it. We'd had several rejections of people saying, well, the songs aren't quite that good or the singer isn't that great, although he was great. So it's not, it wasn't his fault. Um, but we obviously weren't going to get across the line and, and earn a living doing this. Um, so the manager said, I've got this other, this other duo and I think they're fantastic. You should come and play drums for them. Um, so I did. Well, I met them and we, I played on one of their recordings um, and we just clicked and we worked really well together. And then we kind of pulled in other people um, from other places that we knew. Most were most were not kind of cold auditions. Our, our guitarist, our eventual guitarist, was a was a cold audition, and we were very fortunate because he's a great player. Um, but they were mostly people we knew through some other band or you know something like that. So we came together um, and had, as usual, sent out um, demo tapes, as it, and they were tapes back then, you know, cassette tapes um, out to all the record companies, and most of them said no. Um, and one company said, "Well, we'd like to hear you." Are you playing? Are you playing any any live shows? And we said actually no, because we haven't got a keyboard player yet. Um, so they said, well, how about a rehearsal room? And so we put went into a rehearsal room. They came along and listened to three or four songs and said, yeah, we'll we'll sign you, we'll sign you, and we'll we'll put you on a retainer and you know we'll go and go and record a, uh, your first album. We'll send you into a studio with a famous producer in, in a big studio in in America. And it was very very exciting. It was very exciting. We, you know, and it's just. It kind of, it came along and just blossomed. But as most people will tell you, at that stage, all you've really done is you've got in through the front door. Right? Yes. You, you have no career. You have no no path. You have no following. All you've got is the opportunity now to actually do something. Yes. Um, yeah. So it took it. I won't go into it all right now. But but it it took it took a long time to. To be successful, you know, we, we yes. recorded the, recorded the album, we put out singles, did all the things that every band does, and they they got got nowhere, you know, didn't get much radio play, nothing really happened, and eventually, one of our singles got picked up in the in the states in in America, um, and we had success in America first, and then because it was in America, it got picked up in the UK, and then we we went on to big success on our first album, and kind of declined from that point onwards. <laughs> So, uh, so you found some success in the U.S. and you said then it was picked up in the U.K. Yeah, would it be the other way around? Weren't you a U.K. band? We were a U.K. band. We were, we were, we were just fortunate. I think that that we did get we did get picked up in the U.S. We got picked up by a um, Pepe Jeans ad, and they put our song as the as the backing track to the um, well, you know, the music track to the Pepe Jeans ad, and that helped us have success in America. And then, because this is how the UK is, basically they go, "Hang on, they're, they're us. They're British. What's going on? We, you know, how how can the Americans know all about them and we don't?" So, you know, they kind of chased us, chased us down, and uh, and we um, we kind of had success in the UK on the back of um, you know being a British band who were who were big in the states for a brief time. So your bigger success though was in the UK. Yes, ultimately it was. Yeah, I mean it's kind of funny. Um, in the UK, to power even now, I mean, not me, but the band is is massively well known. You know, famous band. You know, everybody has heard of them. Everybody knows several of the songs. Um, in the US, we're a one hit wonder. Isn't that interesting? An absolute one hit wonder. It's hilarious. Yeah. 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 Not even not even the same song. So our our song "Heart and Soul" is the one hit in the states, whereas. That that was not that it wasn't a hit. It was a number four in the UK. But our, our subsequent single, China in Your Hand, was number one for five weeks. And so in the UK, we're known really for a different song than we are in the States. So, you know. What so a crazy it. world. I know. I know. <laughs> so um, as I listen to you speak, you then, obviously you must have been on tour. You must have been looking out at crowds. How how typically big a crowd would you have been looking out at? Well, it it, it waxes and wanes during, during your career. Yes. Um, we started off playing, obviously, small places and, and so on. And even when we had our first our first success um, in, the, in the charts, we were playing theatres and mostly fairly small theatres, uh, you know, two, three thousand, that sort of thing. 
but as the, as our career progressed, we moved on onto um, playing uh, UK sized arenas and that sort of thing. So we're playing to you know ten, twelve thousand people, something like that. Those kinds of things. Our, our big tour in nineteen eighty eight um, was was through that kind of thing. So it's pro- you know ten to fifteen thousand, I would say, most nights. And how um, did it feel to them? How did it feel to look out onto that kind of a group, a big crowd? It felt absolutely phenomenal. Genuinely, it really did. It was it was such a privilege to do that. It was it was unbelievable to begin with. The first time I played a big place like that, we were we were the opening act for Brian Adams um, in London. Um, and I remember sitting on stage seeing, you know, like you have the exit signs all around an arena. And I remember see, looking up and seeing these exit signs, what seemed to be five miles away at the back of the arena and thinking there are people, I was going to say there are people all the way back there. They probably weren't. They're probably in the bar because we were only the opening act. But theoretically, there were people all the way up there, you know, right miles away. And this place, you know, could have been full. So it really is a phenomenal thing. It's a, it's such an honor and a privilege to play to people like that. And the noise that they make, you yes. know, when you come on stage or, or when you play one of the big songs, the noise they make is is amazing. It's amazing. But I will also say, I mean, I, I, I think I feel this more looking back because when you're doing something, it seems almost normal because... I'm normal to me. I'm I'm the most normal person in the world to me. So anything that I do feels normal to me. Every now and then you do something and I feel this is a moment. I should remember this. But most of the time it's just normal. And it was just my job. Mm-hmm. It was an unusual job, but it was just my job. So it was kind of while it was it was a massive privilege, it was also normal. I was doing it every day. You know, I was I was going on to TV and I was doing these things and playing in front of these, you know, huge crowds of people, which was fantastic. But it was also seemed not as amazing as it does from the outside when I'd seen other bands play, you know. Yeah, well, I think the the thing with you is you know yourself, you know your foibles and that you're human and everything it took to get to that moment Right. Whereas we on the outside just like, oh my gosh, look, look at the, look at him. Like, look at him. He's amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. And that, you know, I, and I certainly, I certainly had a certain level of imposter. I always have had a certain level of, of imposter syndrome. Yes. Um, and I did, and I definitely did then. I, you know, it, it felt sure. some days it felt very odd that I, I, I had that yeah. opportunity. Did you sign autographs? Oh yeah. And yeah. how did that feel? That was that's that's a good question because that that's that didn't feel normal. That felt unusual. Even though we did it a lot, it it always felt slightly unusual that people would want me to sign a picture or sign a piece of paper or you know mm-hmm. sign them on the leg or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the things that people ask you to do. Yeah. yeah. So that 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 was unusual. You, you you know you do feel I I did feel again because I. I was never interested in being famous. That was not why I wanted to be in it. I just wanted to play drums for a living. Yes. Um, so kind of being in a famous band was a very unusual thing. But the great thing was I was the drummer, and so I never got recognized in the street. So, you know, I, I wasn't famous. I, the band I was in was famous. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that made signing autographs a little bit odd because I, yeah. I didn't feel like I was famous. I was just, just a guy, you know, and yeah. drums. So, so let's just morph into um, talk a little bit about groupies. And this is what I want to say. I grew up with, with brothers who were always in bands. Mm. And I'm from Nova Scotia. In Nova Scotia, we have, um, you know, it's very old um, place. And I'm just embarrassed to say this, but I think I will for you and for, for our listeners. Um, my brothers were in a band called the Runic stones okay because in nova scotia we have something called the runic stone mm-hmm. which had scribed on it from you know viking days or so on yeah. Yeah. and so they went up and down nova scotia and they had a hearse and that's where all their stuff was and right. and 
you know, they, they would bring the strangest people home. And of course I was the, the young one in the family. So I got to observe all this, but even they had this dynamic of groupies. And I don't even know if they're still called that, or if that's even a polite phrase, but it certainly puts across the point. What was, what was that like for someone who just wanted to be a drummer? Cause I think it might be different for someone who wants to be famous. Well, the, the first thing to say is we didn't we didn't have very many or even as I recall any. I think it's partly that we had a, a female singer in the band, so I think that helps. Um, but yeah, we didn't seem to attract that at all. I don't honestly remember ever being. I mean, maybe I was foolish and just missed the uh, missed the signs, but um, I don't recall ever having you know somebody who was clearly interested in that side of me should we say yeah i watched a documentary about the eagles once i don't know if you've seen it but it was pretty candid and it was uh i found it difficult to watch because it felt very sad to me about the um the fans and the way they would react to but perhaps that's because that was a over-the-top mega band and I think that you were saying that you were very popular in a niche for mm. a period of time. But I did want to talk, actually, just briefly about what it was like to have a female lead singer in the band, how that would change the dynamic, in your opinion. Well, I think I think there's one of the obvious things is to um, is to not be a boys club quite in the same way that some of the other bands you know, that, that we yes. had in history, you know, Motley Crue and those kinds of things, those sorts of stories that you hear about those people, yes. um, which apparently are all true, so I understand from people who worked with them. Um, but I think having a, having a female singer, we also had a female um, road manager, who, tour manager, who, who okay. organised everything on, on the road. So I think that dynamic, while there was... You know, clearly this is years and years before Me Too and even, you know, feminism was was a bit different then than it is now. And, it, you know, the sort of, uh, you know, the, it's much more true to say we, we assume and strive for equality today than we did back then, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in real terms. Um, but I think that dynamic really helped. It stopped us being, you know, too much of a old boys club and you know all boys together and all that sort of locker room talk and all that kind of thing I mean you know I'm sure that there was plenty of what you know euphemistically is called locker room talk Um, but we didn't really get into that kind of what you could think of as a toxic group of males altogether you know getting a little out of hand we didn't really do that and I think that I think the dynamic of Carol the singer and, and Jenny our tour manager probably really did help that yeah so do you think that Carol, Carol Decker, right, mm. had a, quite a different experience in being that person that's out front than Absolutely. That? Yeah, she did massively. She was, you know, she was famous. She was famous. She was instantly recognizable, massive red hair for a start. Mm. Um, but she was, she certainly was famous. Um, and she had a very different experience from us. And also just for, um, from a day-to-day um, point of view of she had to take much more care of her health than the rest of us did. We all drank far too much beer and stayed up far too late and smoked far too many cigarettes. We were not a druggy band, so we didn't do any of that stuff. But um, we, we drank too much and we stayed up too late. Uh, and Carol couldn't because she had to sing. And so she you know, would be first to bed and not drink as much as the rest of us and always feel like she was missing out and always complain about yeah. you know, not being able to party like the rest of us. Yeah. Um, but I think her experience, you know, as her experience at the time and subsequently um, has been very different from mine. As I said, I was never rec- I was r- literally recognized twice, once in the supermarket in, in the checkout queue which was massively embarrassing because nobody had any clue who I was except for the young woman who was doing the checkout. <laughs> and so she was, she was beside herself that I was in there, I was in there buying my, you know, my frozen peas or whatever. Um, and everyone else is going, who is he? I don't recognize him. So that was hugely embarrassing. Um, but outside of that, I could do, I could do anything. I could, I, I was just a regular, regular guy when I wasn't, you know, doing my job. Yes. Um, and Carol's not. I mean, so much so that there were times when we would go out shopping if we were on tour and had to go do something. And, and we, you know, maybe she'd go out um, 
with with me and you know somebody else and we'd pretend to be her security you know because they they didn't know they, they recognized her and didn't recognize us so we'd we'd pretend to be security and just kind of go well you know you need to yeah give a bit of space and that sort of thing so yeah i i think whether that's there's no doubt there's a, there would be an angle on that that is is part of her being a woman but mostly it's part of her being a, a lead singer you know, she was the lead singer, and we and we were the we were the guys in the background. Yeah, I, I think there is an interesting dynamic between the audience and the lead singer, the singer. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, and this is from my incredible background watching my brothers. <laughs> okay, uh, so how do you parallel parallel? Sorry, how do you parallel band life and real life? What are the lessons from one to the other? Yeah, that I've never been asked that before. So that's I'm gonna to have to think about that. Um, I think that I think that's the the teamwork aspect was very important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, when when the band uh, broke up, um, I had a choice. I could have stayed uh, stayed in in music as a performer, as a musician. Um, and there were opportunities, particularly opportunities to, to be a session player, a, a drummer for hire. Um, and I just never wanted to do that. I didn't like the idea of turning up, doing my thing and leaving because it was, to me, it was always all about the teamwork of building something and working together to create something. Um, so I think, I think the teamwork is just a theme that matters to me and has always been important to me all the way through. Um, but I think that what else do I think? I think that always trying to be your best is really important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what's what's where there's a contrast, but there's a little bit in there that 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 is the same is that you know people say you should follow your passions, and I hundred percent agree with that. Yes. The problem for me was by the time I was in my early thirties, my my passion was behind me, right? Because I'd stopped me. My passion was being a drummer. That was it. That's all I wanted to do. And I was now no longer a drummer. So my real genuine passion was behind me. Um, so the notion of you should always follow your passion. Well, I can't follow my passion because I've just stopped my passion, right? So that yes. doesn't work for me anymore. Um, but I think that what I've tried to do in every job I've had, even picking up garbage and driving trucks when I was trying to do it just to pay the bills is to find in whatever it is you're doing, find the bit that excites you, find the bit that you enjoy and follow that bit because every job, including being a drummer in a, in a famous band, every job has its bad days and its downsides and its boring bits and it's things you'd, you'd much rather not have to do. Yes. But Every job I've ever done has bits that have interested me and that I've enjoyed and that I can really get passionate about and I can really get my teeth into. Mm-hmm. Every single job I've ever done, I find that piece. Right? Yes. You know, you can't always you can't always do the things that that you're really passionate about. You can't always get the job in the industry or in the company or in the role that you wish you could have. But the key for me has always been to find the bit in there that that feels like that. Yeah. What's the bit in there that really excites me? What's the bit there that makes me want to come to work? What's the bit that I can go home and go, that was a good day because that happened. I did this thing. Yeah. Right. Well, that's great. Yeah, that's so true. Um, are you ever surprised by your career? Because you've had quite the career and you continue to have quite the career. Do you ever just say to yourself, Tim, wow, this has been, continues to be a really interesting career? I do, but only because I have it pointed out to me. Genuinely, Jan, genuinely, this is true. You know, because again, back back to what I was saying before, it feels completely normal to me. Mm. You know, I... I've I've run a, my career really by trying to say yes to opportunities. So if I see an opportunity that looks interesting, I try to follow it and and try to try to take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. You know, try to get into that role like being a magistrate. That was something that somebody said to me completely left field. 
And I thought, that's an interesting idea. That's a great thing. I'd love to do that. And I had no idea how to do that. And I applied and followed it through and, and kept going. You know, and I've done that with a number of other jobs, the kind of more ordinary jobs within the industry that I've done over the last um, 25 years. Um, that it's it's really, if there's an opportunity or, or something looks like Somebody goes, oh, Tim might be the person for this. Say yes. You know, say yes to those opportunities. Keep following them. So my career progression has been a series of, of little decisions or little opportunities and saying yes to things. And it kind of has bumbled along like it is. Um, and, and it has always felt completely normal to me because that's what, you know, yeah. it's me. So exactly. therefore it's normal. But, yeah, I mean, a couple of people, my, my partner, again, who's, who's far, far smarter than me and far more perceptive than I am, and she said to me, you know, you really have had a series of interesting lives in this one life that you've had. You've been in a band. You've, you know, been a magistrate. You've, you've rallied cars. You, you know, you've worked as an executive in the music industry. You know, all of these, you've lived in two different countries and two different continents. You know, all of these kinds of things. And I... When it's pointed out to me, I kind of go, actually, yeah, it is kind of interesting. It is. You know, it feels, it feels from this side, it feels a little bit of a mess, a little bit of a kind of like, you know, how, I did this, I did this weird thing for a while, and then I did this weird thing for a while, and now I do this thing, which is mm -hmm. a lot less weird. Uh, you know, and it's, yeah, it's kind of felt like that to me, but yeah, yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's not, it's not conventional. Yeah, it's not. You know, and and coming from the coming from my family, who were not not dull people, very interesting people, super bright people, um, but much more conventional, more linear, and more kind of all you know, more sensible, you know, yeah. more understandable. Um, it, it's definitely been a bit weird from yeah. that angle, but, but you know. I, I, there's not much of it that I would have, I would go back and do differently, to be honest. Well, and you know what? There's no question that um, a lot of paddling under the surface at the same time, and and we're all aware of you know how we paddle under the surface, and how you know sometimes we do have that imposter syndrome, and sometimes it's just one foot in front of the other, and interesting things happen, or sometimes we go backwards. But that's that's living a life. I want to ask you my three questions very quickly. What yeah. has been the best career advice you have received? Honestly, I can't remember ever getting any career advice. So maybe that's because I wasn't listening or I wasn't <laughs> asking for it. I don't know. But I got some career advice when I was at, at school, um, just before I left school, um, where everybody knew I was passionate about music and my homeroom teacher, as we would call them here, who was also my physics teacher, said to me dismissively once, oh. you'll never make you'll never make it in the music industry. Don't be ridiculous. Right. So that's about the worst career advice I've ever had in my life, because that was that was really deflating at the time. Yeah. And I think that helped push me into things that I shouldn't have been doing. Um, but I think if I if I think about things that have mattered to me from a career idea point of view, it was it was when I finally got to talk to my dad about something that he understood when I had a real job, as he would call it, um, when I first moved into the business side of the music industry, and I talked to him about his career, and he said, "I've just done a whole load of things that I really enjoyed, you know, and I've really been very fortunate to do things that I've enjoyed and to try to." choose things that I thought I would enjoy. Mm -hmm. And while it wasn't direct career advice, I didn't say, Dad, what should I do? You know, how do I how do I go on from here now that I've been a drummer and I'm not anymore, what do I do? Um, it wasn't it wasn't that kind of a conversation. But I think him telling me about his own experience mm -hmm. stuck with me for a long time. Yeah. That kind of try mm -hmm. to do things you you enjoy, try to find the enjoyment in the job. Yep. Excellent. So the second question is, is there a book, a podcast or something that you streamed on wherever a streaming service that you just found influenced you, helped you move forward, or you just found interesting and entertaining? 
I think the the one that sticks out to me again. I was thinking about the question, and, and the the one that sticks out to me because I thought, do I do I read books about business? Do I read books about career? Do I th- do I listen to things like that? And I and I mostly don't. But there's a great book that I read a few years ago by Lucy Kellaway, who's a um, columnist in the Financial Times, um, great business columnist in the Financial Times, um, who is also now become a teacher um, and does a whole bunch of other things. Um, but she wrote this hilarious novel called Who Moved My Blackberry? And it's written in the first person. Um, actually, it's not written in the first person. It's written as a series of emails um, from this executive in a big company. It's a marketing executive. And it's the most hilarious book because he's such, he's such an ass. <laughs> He's such an ass. You know, he's so pompous. He talks in ridiculous management speak. I've got to be 10% better than my best this week. You know, what does that mean? Um, so it's it's a hilarious book. And I think, you know, as I, as I was, it came out in the, the mid-2000s, I think. And I was sort of becoming a vice president at that time for, you know, at that sort of level in, in the company. And I and I loved it because it it... It's just all the things you should never do. Yeah, right? it's a wonderful book about all the things you should never do. And of course, I think I've never done any of them, which is probably <laughs> not true at all. Right? I'm sure we all have a you know a bit of a bit yeah. of that in it. Um, but it was it was a great thing to sort of say whatever you do, don't do that. Don't be that guy. Oh, right? what a great! That was, that was great. It's a great book. Who moved my BlackBerry? It's a fantastic book. I recommend okay. it. Very fun. I'll take a look for that. And finally, what are you most proud about related to your career? Can you answer that question? I can. Um, I think I can. Um, and it's really, it's about the the feedback I've had from people who worked on my team. Um, I've had people when I was at EMI when we were when we were building the the how we were going to do this in a digital world, and nobody knew what they were doing. I had a great team of people really talented, great, positive people around me. Um, and we just kind of forged forwards literally every day, making decisions on, well, we don't know how to do this. What do we think? We'll probably do that. Let's make that decision and go in that direction. We were doing that every day for about five years. Yeah. And it was wonderful. I worked with great people. Um, and some years later, after we'd stopped doing that and we'd all moved off to other things, we still go out for dinner um, You know, whenever we're in the same city. Um, which which is something I'm proud of, first of all, because we're all friends, and I like that. You know, some some distance. Well, it's now well over ten years, um, and we're still all friends. But the nicest thing was one of the people who worked for me had gone on to um, a vice president position in, a, in another company, and he was just talking about what they were going through. As you know, as we were sitting around having dinner, and we, he was talking about what they were going through, um, and he talked about what he was doing with his team and how he was getting his team through this particular um, transition in the company. And he turned around and said, I learned all that from you. Oh. And that was that was huge. That was oh, such, yes. a, such a thing for me. Yes. You know, because to have somebody who I could hear was doing a great job and turn around and say, that was you. Yes. And that, that was that was massive for me. That was really that was that I was I'm more proud of that than anything else, I think. Oh, that's lovely. Okay. I think that is everything. Is there anything that you wanted to add before we wrapped up, Tim? No, I think other than this has been thought-provoking, you know, very thought-provoking for me because I don't think of a career like a career. No, I don't. I've I've never thought of me having a career. Um, So it's kind of interesting to, to have to look at parts of it like that. So that's been, it's been great. And it's been a, a real joy. Jan, it's been fantastic. It's great fun. Um, you're you're delightful to talk to. So thank you very ever so much for asking me. To our viewers and listeners, I hope that you find us delightful to listen to. This has been a great conversation with Tim. I've enjoyed every minute of it. I'm going to listen to it, unpack some of it uh, again because it was so fascinating and so many tips and things for us to think about. Um, th- so just been a, a great conversation. Uh, If you're a podcast listener, find us wherever you get your podcast. We're also on YouTube. If you want to take a look at Tim's gold record, platinum record or gold record? Platinum. Uh, 
Yeah, that was four times platinum. Yeah, Four times platinum record times platinum. Um, behind him on the wall. Until we meet again, thank you so much. Thanks, Jen. <laughs>